Hey, everybody, and welcome to our Wadi Midweek College podcast. Come and see. My name is Caroline Head. I'm a communications intern here at Watkinsville First Baptist, and I've got my co-intern, Carly Malkowitz, and college pastor, Vic Doss, and special guest on the podcast today is Mark McAndrew from North Ave Church. And we are going to be talking on the podcast today um, through some questions that actually some people sent in from the sermons um, this week and the, the week prior to that. And it's going to be on John 10 and 11. So, Carly, you want to take us away with those questions? So the first question we have is from John 10, 33 through 34. So the Jews are accusing Jesus of blasphemy in this passage. And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent to the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? So why is Jesus bringing up Psalm 82 here? Why is he saying, I said you are gods? What does this have to do for his argument? What does it have to do in the passage in general? So uh, the, the best explanation I've heard of this and, and I think the most helpful is an illustration from N.T. Wright that I'm just going to completely steal. And uh, so Wright tells this story that uh, a group of uh, violinists uh, have a violinist guild and they find a single manuscript copy uh, among a pile of things that a composer had left after he died. And it's a piece written for solo violin. Uh, but it was extraordinary. Uh, no one could play. Probably unplayable, they think. And and so they keep it with them for years, and people try to play it, but no one can. It just sounds like noise. Until one day, they hear music, and they recognize some of the notes as that piece of music. And they track down where it's coming from, and they find this, this scraggly-looking hobo of a guy playing the violin that he's playing the music and it sounds amazing and they say to him that's our music and he says no it's my father's music he wrote it i'm his son and um they're angry with him because he's playing the music and you don't have any right to play it and they they take it from him and he says no i'm an honorary member of the guild because my father was was the president of the guild, if you will, but they were so angry about the fact he's playing the music that he leaves. And the music's never heard again. And and Wright says what's happening in this context with the Jews and Jesus is that the divine thing that the Jews have been given is the law. And Jesus shows up as the master violinist who can play the law. He can fulfill the law. And they're angry about that because it's their law instead of rejoicing the fact someone's here who can play it. And um, that's what Jesus is saying. You, I'm here. I am the Father's Son. I am the answer to all of these questions that you have. And that's why Jesus uses that, that psalm uh, to, to point out to them they're missing uh, the Messiah which has been the, the issue the whole time. And that's why he's picking fights with them and healing on the Sabbath because they're so caught up with the, with things they've actually added to the law that Jesus is saying, I can play the music and you're refusing to hear it. 
So even with this, the assumption here underneath the conversation is that Scripture cannot be broken. Right. A significant comment here. So Jesus is basing his whole point right now on one word in one remote psalm that most people don't even know about today. Like Psalm 82 is not a well-known psalm. He grounds his whole argument in one word in the Hebrew Old Testament. And he says, we all agree here, all of us in this room, the Pharisees included, we all agree Scripture doesn't get broken. Scripture is unbreakable. Uh, nothing in Scripture can can fall down. So let, let me give you my argument. He goes back to that psalm, and the, the word there for gods, let me just read this from Psalm 82. This is verses 6 and 7. It says, I said, you are gods, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. Now, the, the word there for gods is the word Elohim, which is the word used sometimes for God, but also for gods, plural, and it can also be used for rulers. And he's basically saying, listen, there were sinful, corrupt kings at the time who were called Elohim, gods. And he says, listen, we, we all know that that's accurate when Scripture calls them gods. They're going to die just like any man. But Jesus' basic point is saying, if you have no problem calling sinful, corrupt kings Elohim, gods, in the Old Testament, which we all agree that's what God called them, kind of somewhat in mockery of them, why are you having a hard time with me? I'm the violinist who can play the actual tune of my father. If I actually am showing real credentials of being the true son of God, why are you mad at me when the word Elohim is applied to sinful kings in the Old Testament? Why can't I call myself the son of God when I actually am that? So I think that's kind of what Jesus is getting at. Last week, which was the question I knew we were going to get, I just didn't know we'd get it four times. It was the only four questions we got Sunday. John 11. Uh, which is Lazarus is raised from the dead, which y'all still, we're so bored with the Bible. A dead guy came to life. That is insane. We should all be going, are you kidding me? Every time we read it. Uh, but we don't because we're bored with it. But the question was, it four different ways people ask this question. Where was Lazarus when he died? For four days, where is he? Is he just kind of floating around in la la land or is it one person said is lazarus in hell so that we're going to we're going to try to answer that and hopefully not confuse everybody beyond uh recovery uh so there's a there's a jewish way of understanding the afterlife that when you died in the old testament um there were there was paradise or abraham's side or abraham's bosom and then there was sheol or hades and so that's the those are the places you go. One of them is a place of torment. It's not hell, but it's torment. And one is a place of rest and peace. And so those are the and those were all down, mm. like like the Hebrew language. They would talk about people dying. They would go down. And so that's that's sort of the context for the Jews. Where where would a person go when they died? So Lazarus is most likely in uh, what we would refer to what the Bible would refer to as paradise or at Abraham's side. Not he's not being tormented because he is a, he's Jesus' friend. He's he's a, we we're confident he's a follower and a believer of Jesus at that point. But so so that's the the way of kind of understanding how the Jews would have viewed death. And anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean the the really safe things to say are no Old Testament believer who died went to hell or anything equivalent to hell. Yeah, no, they were not point. they were not being tormented for sin because it's kind of like a, not to make this sound silly, but it's the difference between paying with cash and credit. Yeah. Uh, in in the Old Testament, essentially you're you're, you're making the payment. They're, they're getting credit for Christ's work before it's actually been paid. So that they're they're you're using credit. They're they're working yeah. ahead of time. They're getting full. Uh, acceptance with God, full peace with God through the work of Christ that is to be paid in the future. So they're pointing forward all by faith. And then 
now we obviously looking back, we look at what Christ did on the cross, but no believer in Old or New Testament ever was punished for their sin after they died. That That's not a biblical concept. So where would Lazarus would have gone where anybody would have died before Christ, which is they would have gone to paradise, where all believers were, and no doubt he was there for those for those inter, those days in between, and then right. was his soul was reunited with his body and I don't think he was in a like a spiritual coma. People talk about soul sleep. Soul sleep. I reject yeah, soul sleep entirely. Yeah. Uh, the idea that you're kind of like incapacitated until the resurrection. You don't have any consciousness until the resurrection. Uh, I don't think that's what the Bible means by well, sleep I, language. I don't either because he hears Jesus calls him by name. Yeah. There, there, there's something right. about the calling him by name. If it was some kind of soul sleep, you would have just that wouldn't have been necessary. I don't think. There, there's the, the calling by name to me sort of invalidates that whole soul sleep thing. Right, that you he can hear it, and in the in the New Testament, you've got Paul saying to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, or uh, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right. or the, st- the rich man of Lazarus. Yep. As soon as the rich man dies, he's carried, uh, or he's, he's he wakes up in torment. Right, yeah, but the- Lazarus is carried by the angels to Abraham's side. So. There's no sense of a gap of thousands of years uh, between the two. And I'm just adding questions here. Why, why does the New Testament refer to death as sleep if we don't believe in soul sleep? Uh, there are two ways the, the Bible talks about death. One is dead. You're wow. dead. I, he died. Get my notes out. Yeah, get that out. Write that yeah. down. One is he died. So one way they referred to death. Let me just make sure I got that first they point. They refer to death as it's actually dead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I got it. Uh, and another is falling asleep. Almost always, falling asleep refers to believers. Our friend Lazarus has fallen That's asleep, right. and I go to wake him. Mm. Uh, so the way I differentiated is this. If you die apart from Jesus, that is a permanent death. Mm. It's spiritual death. Death is just separation. Your soul separate from your body. You're separated from God. There's a spiritual death. So if you die you, without Jesus, you're dead. If you die with Jesus, you're asleep. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's probably a pretty oversimplified right. explanation of why the Bible uses a sleep. Because Lazarus is, again, a believer and a follower of Jesus. And what Jesus is showing there is if you trust him and love him and put all your faith in him, death for you is basically a nap. Mm-hmm. And someday Jesus is going to tap you on the shoulder and wake you up from the nap and yep. you're, you're going home. Uh, I told, uh, when we were talking about this, like my kids, you've, you've got kids now, this this happens. You put them in the car, mm-hmm. and you you go for a drive, and yeah, they go to out. sleep instantly. And I can remember uh, bringing our kids home when they were small, asleep in the car, lay them down, mm-hmm. and, and they fall asleep. They're in their bed. They wake up. They don't realize. They fall asleep in the car, and they wake up. Where am I? Well, you're home. Dad carried you in from the car into the house. And so that's... That's a little bit of what's death is just the van ride mm. till you get home and dad pulls you out of the van, puts you in, in home. Let me just add something to that. So uh, a misconception I often find with church kids, I, I work with high school students a lot. So I, a misconception I hear a lot is the idea that when, a, when someone dies, they immediately enter into their eternal state, which is, which is a half truth. But it's not entirely accurate. So when a believer dies today, we immediately, our body is buried and our soul goes to be with the Lord in heaven. And we're in a state of paradise with all believers and it's wonderful. Most people think that's the end of the story. Like, yeah, okay, now we're in heaven permanently or you go straight to hell immediately and that's where you are permanently. 
not accurate. So if an unbeliever dies, they go to Hades, which is like a waiting room for hell. It's a place of anguish and torment, but it's not hell itself. It's At the end of Revelation 20, there's the final judgment, and there's a resurrection of both the, the, oh. the good and the bad. Yes. Everyone is resurrected. Everyone gets a, a new body back. Believers then are given the new heavens and the new earth. No one is currently, no one has a resurrection body other than Jesus, right. and no one's on the new earth, because it does not exist yet. Right. So no one's in the eternal state in that sense, except Jesus has a resurrection body. Unbelievers right now who are in Hades, a place of torment, like the rich man in Luke 16, it's a horrible place. But he will one day get his body back, a resurrected body, and it says at the end of Revelation 20, death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire, the, the second death, which is hell. So it's after the final judgment, everyone has a new body, and you're either in the lake of fire, which is hell for, forever, or you're on the new earth under a new heavens with Christ forever. But where we die at this moment isn't where we're going to be forever, uh, because after the final judgment is when you find your eternal state. Right, and Jesus, even on the cross, when he dies, he says to the thief, yeah. today you'll be with me in paradise, which which leans into the the Jewish view of there was this place called paradise or Abraham's right. side. What Jesus is saying to the guy is, you, you're going with me, but it's not going to be the permanent place because he says, I go to prepare a place for you, which would kind of indicate it's not ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's some, there's some uh, construction being done whatever heavenly construction looks like. I go to prepare a place for you. So, um, yeah, this this idea that when you die, that's the the permanent yeah. residence is there. That's, that, that's You're right. That is inaccurate and a little bit of a misunderstanding. And so keep your questions coming. The questions help us. It kind of gives us content for our podcast. If you actually hear this podcast and it generated more questions, which it probably will, uh, please feel free to email me or Joel, it's Vic at Watkinsville.org, or Joel at Watkinsville.org, and and we'll try to get to those questions as we uh, work through the rest of John. Anyway, you guys have a great Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll see you in a week. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it, and I think those are some really good answers to those questions. Well, hey, guys, it is T-minus eight days until Thanksgiving. And I don't know about you, but I'm counting down the days until I get to have some of my grandma's mac and cheese. Can I get a witness? I hope you guys are also excited and looking forward to Thanksgiving and everything that has to bring. And just so you know, we will not be doing a podcast next week. So we will see you back here in two weeks. Have a great week.